if that's the first thing you see, everybody's reaction is, okay, what the fuck? And then yeah. some people go, what the fuck? Uh, I like dogs, and I don't like that. So that's what this show's going to be, just choking a different breed of dog every episode, <laughs> but I don't want to watch it. It's that podcast where we watch an insane amount of television in a very short period of time and then tell you what we think. We've binged. Now it's time to purge. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Purge. I'm Chris, and my guest today is Skylar Higley. How's it going, Skylar? Uh, everything is cool. Uh, it's good. Uh, last night, I... Um, was running to catch a train and fell. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah. So I, I was doing stand-up and I got on stage bleeding. Um, but the funny part of the story is the fact that I just moved and I don't have any bandages. So currently my hand is wrapped in a napkin and uh, duct tape. So that's fun. You, you don't have like a CVS or a Walgreens real close where you can get some bandages? I do, but I got home super late and I was lazy. So I'm going to do that after this. <laughs> um, but for right now, I just kind of look like, I don't know, just somebody that's a casualty of war in a war where they destroy all the Walgreens in the world. And they and so you just use duct tape and uh, napkins, naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where were you doing stand-up? Um, I was at the Second City, and then I went to uh, Annoyance. These are both open mics. Ah, okay. I've been to, I saw a show at The Annoyance, or a couple of shows there when I was in Chicago, but I didn't make it down to Second City. It's not in the same area as all those other theaters, right? Yeah, well, no, yeah, it's not that close. So Annoyance and I.O. are pretty close to each other, and Second City's more downtown-ish. Ah. Yeah, cool, cool. So, yeah, so Skyler is uh, on the phone from Chicago. That's how we've got him on the on the on the purge, so we don't get to sit down uh, at the same table. But uh, we're gonna make this work anyway. This is our third attempt at this. Uh, the first yeah, two, the recorder just kept deleting everything we were recording. So we're gonna try to keep it fresh, shake things up, change what we were talking about a little bit. But Skylar is here to talk about House of Cards, right? Yes, House of Cards. Because Skylar loved yeah. it, I liked it. We're finally into shows that I actually liked. Uh, rather than ones that I was like, eh, it's fine, or I didn't like. Uh, so this is exciting. And as uh, we do every week, we're going to start the podcast with uh, something that we loved. Uh, do you want to go first, Skylar, or do you want me to? Um, I'll go first. I have Wait. a different thing than the first two times, so uh, listeners will just have to speculate what those other two were. Um, but uh, I just recently rewatched an episode of Mad Men, uh, season four, episode six, I uh-huh. believe. Uh, and it's basically where, where Don and Peggy stay in the office all night to get some work done for, I think it's Jaguar. Ooh, I don't know. Okay. I don't remember who it's for, but that's not important. They're locked in there and they just have this, you know, emotional journey that starts with them fighting and, uh, yelling at each other and Don ends up crying when the sun comes up and it's a beautiful episode uh, all the way through. I haven't seen it. I stopped watching Mad Men about the beginning of season three. I got bored with it. Mm. Um, but is this like a, 
so I haven't seen this episode you're talking about, but is it like a, a bottle episode where the whole episode's in this room with them? Um, no, because they go, they show scenes from outside ah, okay. this office, and uh, John and Peggy go to like a restaurant and a bar, but it's basically, um, he's making her work, and, uh, but also it's the fact that she kind of wants to work, but keeps saying like, oh, this sucks that I have to work. But she's also somewhat avoiding a dinner with her family. And uh-huh. uh, she ends up breaking up with her boyfriend who planned the surprise dinner all in the course of this night. And it also takes place on uh, the night of the Ali fight, um, the big one that they have all the historical pictures about. Uh-huh. So that's kind of the context of the episode. And uh, it's really nice. They have to deal with some emotional things that they've been kind of pushing back and kicking around. If you haven't really seen the show, I would still even recommend watching that episode just for uh, how good the acting is and how good the... uh, You can see how much effort everybody's put into that one episode. It's one of the best episodes, I think, that have been on TV. Uh, So, yeah. Is it on Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime or anything where you can watch it for free, or do you have to pay for that show? Do you uh, know? No, it's on Netflix. It is? Mm-hmm. Then maybe I will have to check that out. It was Mad Men epi- Season 4, Episode 6? I think it's Episode 6. It's called uh, The Suitcase. The Suitcase. The name. Great. I'm making a note of it. Uh, I'll have to check that out. Uh, cool. My thing is another rewatch. Um, I have been rewatching Prison Break, the first four seasons, because they're doing a fifth season uh, in March or April. I don't think the official date has been announced. Did you ever watch Prison Break when it was on? Yeah, I actually I watched the first two seasons, I think it was. Uh-huh. And then at the end of the second season, there's this thing that happens where it's like, and now you're going back to prison. Yep, and I exactly. said, fuck this, and I stopped <laughs> watching. Yeah, we just uh, got to, last night we watched the first couple of episodes of season three. Um, I loved seasons one and two. I absolutely loved them. I remember thinking season three wasn't very good, but I've, don't remember much of it. And then season four, I remember liking, but honestly, the only thing I remember from season four is how the show ends. Uh, so it's kind of exciting to watch it again. Um, but we watched, so, so season two, the season premiere, they're now out of prison and they're on the run. Right. And there's a whole bunch of characters that they're following. And, Mm -hmm. In one episode, they show you all the characters and little snippets, and they're they're progressing each character's story. And I got to that at, uh, at the end of that episode, and I turned to Rebecca. I was like, you know, Walking Dead would have made that episode two full seasons, and that's not a compliment to Walking yeah. Dead. Yeah, <laughs> no, I see what you mean. That's a uh, they do do that where they're like, let's tell you every story very very slowly. That's why I kind of fell off of Walking Dead. Because it's uh, part of it is where is this going, mm-hmm. and uh, part of it is it's so drawn out with everything, and then you just know at some point someone's going to die randomly, and you yeah, I'm, care too much. <laughs> I'm on the verge of abandoning Walking Dead, but I do like 
from 10 years ago when Prison Break was on, from the 2000s, I think TV hit a really good pace. It was the king of everything, you know. It was bigger than movies. It was attracting big movie stars for that period. I mean, maybe it still is a little bit. I don't know. But they moved it a quick clip, and shows were more exciting, and they knew how to pace shows, but now they'll pat them out. Like, Walking Dead has an hour and a half episode, and it's like, I don't need an hour and a half. I could tell yeah. you tell the story in 45 minutes. Um, Netflix doesn't put time restrictions on any of its shows, so they don't have to write to commercials. They don't have to pace a show quickly. Uh, and I don't know that that's a good thing. I think in some cases, yeah, but I think a lot of people abuse that privilege. Uh, yeah. And I liked the pacing of 10 years ago. Sure. I mean, it was much faster and much more. I don't know. I think that Mad Men fell into that trap, too. I think it was the first episode of season six. Mm-hmm. It was like a two-hour-long episode. Usually they're hour-long episodes. And I just, like, I couldn't sit through the whole thing. I'm like, this is great, but the whole thing is very... The, show itself is very slow and very subtle mm-hmm. so if you're two hours of just that it's like oh that's uh why <laughs> yeah i don't i can't take it in these large chunks smaller chunks yeah i can handle it um yeah. i uh i remember an episode of boston legal from a few years ago where they were talking about how writers do slow the pace of shows now because they know people are on their phones while they watch the show and if they're distracted by their phone, they're going to miss plot points. So they have to slow the pace down so people can follow it with their dumb brains while they're playing, you know, Candy Crush or whatever. Interesting. Uh, that was part of a script of Boston Legal, and that could have been just David E. Kelly shitting on other writers. Uh, or that could be totally true. I don't know. Hmm. But it is interesting. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I could see why, where that would come from. Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, a lot of writers are now, a lot of shows are now focused on tone as mm-hmm. opposed to story. So when things are moving slow, uh, like for a show like Atlanta, for instance, yeah, um, it's because they want people to feel uh, whatever the show is aesthetically, which I think is something House of Cards does as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think that's a good point about Atlanta because Atlanta does move really slow plot-wise, but it's always engaging. And yeah. I think Walking Dead moves really slow plot-wise, but it's not always engaging. In fact, it's often disengaging, uh, which is problematic. And you just keep watching because you know someone's going to die gruesomely in the season finale, and you don't want to miss that. Right. And it's also, it's I think with the extreme violence, it's just compensating for it. Like, we're going to go slow because you don't know when something insane is going to happen yeah exactly i uh at this point the only reason i'm still watching walking dead is because i know when they announce this is the last season i'm gonna go back and catch up to Mm -hmm. see how it ends so i might as well invest my one hour over 16 weeks each year rather than try to binge it all right at the end yeah Uh, but it's kind of silly for me to waste my time doing that but that's what i'm doing I heard Glenn died, and I was like, okay, so I don't have to go back. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can be done now. You can be done. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, and that episode was so gruesome, like so unnecessarily gory, like stomach-turningly. And I was like, I don't know if I want to keep watching this, but I did. Kept watching it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else do I have to do on a Sunday night? Better myself? Go to the gym? Yeah. No. Uh, nah. Great. Uh, well, let's let's get into House of Cards. 
Yeah. What? So. Oh, so yeah. So, go ahead. Go. I, I was gonna say uh, the reason why I loved House of Cards was I just like anticipating your question. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. yeah. Because, well, we did this two times before. You knew exactly what I was going to ask here. Yep. Take three. I know everything, every single word that we're going to say between now and the very end. Great. Um, anyway, the reason why I love House of Cards is uh, I think that it presents um, a really interesting take on politics uh, by comparing it to theater, right? Because it's... it's um, oh, yeah. He, he has all these asides and stuff that are like Shakespearean in nature. He's talking to the audience. He's breaking the fourth wall, mm-hmm. which is something that is kind of signifies this is all a show, whereas it kind of lends itself to politics, to being like this poli- political game is all a show. Uh, all appearances are reality. We're constructing whatever we think is the truth. And that's um, that goes to a lot of the show's focus on different aesthetics and why it looks so nice that's a that's a solid point that you haven't made before scott <laughs> um yeah in the previous recordings uh that's actually really interesting and it lends itself to the melodrama of the story where sometimes i'll complain that that's like ah that's mm-hmm. a little convenient or like when when he and his wife engage in that three-way with their secret service guy and it's like oh, really but when you're considering it as all part of a show, part of a drama, part of a theater experience uh, that plays a lot more realistically in that world. Yeah. And that's why it would be off base for like a show like West Wing, which I mean, I see maybe one episode of West Wing, but that's <laughs> why that would be like, you'd be like, wow, because that's not necessarily what West Wing is about as far as I understand. No, West Wing is more like an idealized president. Like what if... Everyone in the president, uh, what if the president and everyone in his cabinet was actually ethical and moral? And that's kind of the idea behind West Wing. And so mm-hmm. if the president of, uh, if Martin Sheen pushed someone in front of a subway train, uh, yeah, it would break the entire reality of West Wing for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, West Wing was a great show too, but completely different from House of Cards. Completely. Yeah. Um sure. I, I I like that point of of politics being a show too, because um, they do call uh, Washington D.C. Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> I did not know that. And uh, it is like it's people who want to be famous and want attention, um, who don't have the bodies uh, to be in movies. So uh, let's go through like I don't know. Let's start with the first season. Because that seems like a natural place to start. Um, and the way it's all set up, it starts with a dog dying. Well, not a dog dying. A dog got hit by a car, yes? Yes. And uh, then he just decides to come up and choke it to death. Which I think, for a lot of people, when they watched it, uh, immediately turned them off. Because the first thing you... If that's the first thing you see, everybody's reaction is, okay, what the fuck? And then yeah. some people go, what the fuck? Uh, I like dogs, and <laughs> I don't like that. So that's what this show is going to be, just choking a different breed of dog every episode, <laughs> and I don't want to watch it. Uh, for me, I was like, okay, this is uh, maybe an interesting thing, which is I think what they were trying to do is hook you onto the character and what 
he is about. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe the choking the dog until it dies metaphor is uh, probably the most accurate thing you could say about Frank Underwood. Yeah, I think it was a it was a great start to the series, uh, a great stomach turning start to the series. That uh, first episode started like as it started setting things up, I got pretty bored and didn't come mm. back to House of Cards for another two years. After season three came out and everyone was like, no, you got to watch it. That's when I went back and caught up because the first episode didn't hook me. It didn't keep me watching, even though that first scene was pretty great. Yeah, I didn't. uh, I think my friend had me watch House of Cards. And I, after the first scene, I didn't really. Yeah, for the rest of the episode, you're like, okay, this is just some guy that maybe sometimes does crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, is you can tell he's ty- kind of grabbing for power, but what they don't really express in the first episode, and I don't know if it's the first couple episodes, but actually how moralist he is as a character, um, because we think of maybe choking a dog to death is kind of like that's pretty gory and ruthless, but he's like putting it out of its misery which in your head you go, I guess ultimately that's an okay thing to do uh, mm-hmm. for the dog. But um, so it's kind of that he's not as interesting until you start realizing, oh, he thinks that all of morality is just kind of a gray area. And he then decides that, well, I'm as moral as everybody thinks I am because there's no, nothing is beyond what appearances are. Yeah, what is his moral code? Uh, as in, why does he want the power? Because what does he plan to do with it? What drives Frank Underwood? Yeah, I don't... Uh, that's something I was thinking about. I don't really know. Um, it's also something that I guess you could ask about uh, like real-life people. Uh, like Donald Trump, for instance. I don't know if it's become very clear that uh, he doesn't seem like he really actually wanted to be president, at least to me. You're talking about Donald Uh, Trump, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, He just kind of wanted to be in charge. And I feel like Frank Underwood is somewhat the same way but uh, as president, like since he became president in the show, it's somewhat less interesting because, like, okay, now he's trying to push these certain agendas and do his America Works thing, and you're like, yeah, but that's not—I don't know—you can't grab for more power than the president, so I don't know what his motivations are. Yeah, I know. Really. I mean, I can look at like someone like Donald Trump. Oh, we're getting political now. It's a political yeah. show. Settle <laughs> down, listeners. We're going to get political. Um, but like Donald Trump, I think everything that drives him is a need for acceptance. He needs to be liked. I mean, like you read his Twitter feed. He's a child who needs approval from the Hollywood elite who will never give him approval. You know, mm-hmm. He's always talking shit about them because he's so desperate for them to like him. He's like that guy in high school who was an asshole to everybody. And so the 
cool kids didn't want to hang out with him, but his excuse was, oh, well, those cool kids are too cool. They think they're too great. And so he's going to show up to the 20-year reunion with a model in his Lamborghini mm-hmm. and show them. And that's his entire personality. Um, yeah. And so you can kind of see what drives a person like that. But I think the show House of Cards, as good as it is, would benefit from defining what it is exactly that drives Frank Underwood. Because like you said, in the beginning, it looks like he has a moral code. And then as the show goes on, it's like everything's a gray area to him. Which is, ah, I feel like in real life, that's okay. But in a TV show or a story or a work of fiction, audiences need a little bit more of a motivation to grasp onto, no? Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. It's, the more you think about his motivation, it kind of becomes elusive because it's just somebody who is 100% just calculated and pragmatic and just he's just crunching the numbers, essentially, for more and more power. Yeah. So you could say, yeah, he's motivated by power, and uh, I guess there's no end to that. So he's really just kind of a representation of... Uh, just the want for power and for no reason, and I guess that's why doesn't he get he gets shot or something, right? Yeah, he there's a, to have these weird visions, and he has visions of that include people he has killed in the right. past. I think that's kind of what the show is trying to say: is he also doesn't know why he's doing these things, and just like oh, I've killed people, and now I'm here in this bed bleeding. Is this what all that was for? To now have people want to kill me? Stuff like that, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. What you just said is the show is showing us that he doesn't know the end to his, you know, motivation, which would be, hopefully, they'll explore that in season five. Because you and I mentioned before that season four got a little off the rails. Yeah. Um, It got a little uh, to the melodramatic side. Uh, a little soap opera-y. We're talking about their divorce now all of a sudden, when before we were talking about them killing people. Yeah, which is, that's, I just think it's so funny that they go to divorce because they're murdering <laughs> people. It's like so high stakes. And you're like, now they're doing something that half of Americans do. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so it gets it gets into this uh, wishy-washy area where, like, a lot of things happen in season four, but I couldn't really tell you what they were. Because it was just like this blur of, mm, I don't want to say nonsense, but stuff that didn't matter as much as everything that had come before it. Yeah. Um, But if season five can then explore, okay, what are the means? Have Frank Underwood, even if it's just him understanding for himself what it is that drives him, that would be super helpful because I don't know what it is. I I think a lust for power is a weak... um, weak character motivation because I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says, I want to control everybody. They have to have a thing they tell themselves that is noble to get them going. No, I think that, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't really even know what he's really tells himself, but um, maybe that's, I don't know ultimately, but maybe that's the show's possibly the, point of it is the mm-hmm. fact that since all these uh, things are try- done to gain more power and um, so much is put on appearances that really are just saying all these appearances 
are just what they are. There is an actual reality behind it. Maybe it's saying that uh, there's all this going on, but the quest for power, although maybe interesting and dramatic, is ultimately meaningless. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I agree with that, but the show itself, I, I, I mean, I agree with that that's what it's portraying and the quest for power is ultimately meaningless, but the show itself, if it were to hold to that and never go deeper with like mm-hmm. the whys or how, like, cause I think Kevin Spacey, Frank Underwood has to have an existential crisis. He has yeah. to be like, why am I doing this? What am I benefiting? Um, otherwise, the show becomes meaningless. And we don't want the show to be meaningless, even if the quest for power is meaningless. Sure. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. It, it could have something to do with... He makes lots of mentions about uh, how he grew up poor and uh, his father being uh, drunk and really shitty to him. Uh, so maybe psychologically it could come from that sort of trauma. Um, so he's kind of like a sociopath now because of what happened to him. And uh, But that's still, I don't know, not great as a motivation, I it, think. It's not, but it is an interesting start of one. Uh, I like, I, I, I'd kind of forgotten about all that stuff with his father, but it's crucial to who he is as a person. Um, it's a classic literary thing male characters are driven by their relationship with their fathers not just literary i mean real life too um, yeah. a lot of men are driven by their relationship with their fathers and i thought and i think the way they've uh, drawn that relationship in the show is very good his father they they released that photo of his father shaking hands with a hooded kkk leader oh yeah and he has to defend that um that was a great move on the writer's part of this show. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, he has that one scene where he goes to his father's grave and uh, um, he he pees on his dad's grave. But the reason why he says he's only there because he has to keep up appearances, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, so I think that's kind of one of those uh, two birds with one stone type things where he says, I have to be like a human so people trust me. So I'm just putting on this appearance. And then he's also being on his father's grave but by saying, like, suck it, Dad. Look, I'm the president now. Yeah. And uh, fuck you. I, I Can't you totally see Donald Trump actually doing that? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> 100%. One hundred percent. The problem is, I don't think Donald Trump is that smart. That's the difference between uh, two yeah. characters and the real person. Yeah, Frank Underwood is very smart. Uh, Donald Trump is clearly not. Um, so this father-son relationship—they try to do the same thing with a mother-daughter relationship with Claire Underwood uh, when she goes to her mother's, and I. I don't know how you felt about it, but I didn't like that relationship. It didn't do yeah, anything I, for me in the story. It didn't develop either of the characters at all. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's because it is. I don't. That didn't come up in the third season, right? That's just fourth season. That's stuff, just fourth season. Yeah, she goes back to her mother's house after she's left Frank. Yeah. Yeah, that I think that's part of it. Where it's like that. It came so recently, mm-hmm. and so many other things has happened before that 
it just kind of seems a little lackluster, a little uh, maybe standard. That like, oh, you, I don't even see. I don't even remember what her mom and Claire's problem were because yeah, me like, neither. You left us or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Whatever it was, it wasn't that profound or interesting. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, yeah, I, for the life of me, I can't remember what the problem was, which does not speak. <clears throat> which does not speak well to the the story arc of that if I can't remember it at all. Yeah. Um okay. What about this? Are Frank and Claire Underwood Bill and Hillary Clinton? Um Like are I they are they what? meant to be? Are they meant to make you think they could be or are they not at all? I would say I don't know if they're maybe meant to be uh, uh, since everything we've, I mean, it's all interpretation, but I think you can draw uh, some pretty clear Venn diagrams between, <laughs> I think Frank Underwood and, and Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I would kind of swap them, uh-huh. uh, but I don't know. Bill Clinton was president. It's just that, you know, president before I was paying attention to any of this shit, but <laughs> uh, people are talking about um, back to appearances, the way Frank Underwood operates and then you see the media's uh, reaction to Frank Underwood, uh-huh. where we, you see that like they're getting a very small sliver of what the story is, but they still have these certain leanings and certain emotions about him, uh, is also somewhat, I think, what could be said for Hillary Clinton, because you have whatever small sliver of the story that uh, we know from the media, that she did this, she did that, and... Some people say, like with Frank Underwood, oh my God, she's so corrupt and yeah. uh, we need to throw her in jail. And some people say that she's just been doing the politics thing for whatever amount of time. And uh, there's certain things that you have to do as a politician. She's not necessarily uh, morally broken. She's trying to do the right thing, blah, blah, blah. I don't really have an opinion on that. I just think that they can be uh, related and similar, uh, whether or not people think that's true Mm -hmm. i'm not talking shit on hillary clinton necessarily no 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 uh not at all i think i don't think they're hmm. here's here's what i think about that uh you grew up in utah right uh yeah yeah and so did i and it's a very red state very very red state and I think the Underwoods are a red state's perception of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Sure. Um, because I remember I remember the 92 election when uh, Bill Clinton was first elected and Ross Perot, you know, won him that election by running third party and taking so many votes away from George <clears throat> H.W. Uh, mm-hmm. And people in Utah were outraged by this. I remember in seventh grade... Um, we had to do these impromptu speeches in my English class where you drew a, a topic and you had to talk about it for five minutes and make a case for it. And the one I drew was Bill Clinton is the greatest president ever. <laughs> <laughs> and and I didn't wow. know what to do about this because I grew up in a community that hated Bill Clinton. That's why it was in the in the bowl, right? Right. Um, I just like imagining the teachers just like pushing all the teachers' agendas onto yeah. 
on the studio. Sh- like somebody, like somebody draws out, like we need to read more William Faulkner books. <laughs> that they have to like, I don't know. But it was, uh, I didn't know how to make this speech because everything I'd heard about this guy was negative. Everything. And for people who haven't grown up in a red state or aren't familiar with what this is like, they don't understand why red state people would vote for Donald Trump. They don't understand how this could have happened. Mm. But they also don't understand what the media is like and what the culture and the community is like. I'm a very liberal guy now, but back then... I'd, and my parents are pretty liberal, but even even with liberal parents in that society, you're constantly influenced by conservatism. And, oh, one hundred percent. When I was, uh, it was in elementary school, right after around nine eleven. There were, it's just the messages you're getting as a kid. I remember saying things like, and of course I was a child, but like, oh, why don't we just bomb everything and just get rid of all the people that are bad and which is you know it's a kid saying that but there are people when you're getting those types of messages and Mm -hmm. uh you're oh these people are bad these people are good let's reduce it down to very simple things as a child i don't know anything about what the u.s has gone in and done for oil and how we fucked up certain infrastructures i just know these people were like coming at us and uh all these messages are like all these people are bad, we should kill them all. Right. And so that leads to maybe like, what, seven-year-old me just being like, let's murder everybody and also George W. Bush is great uh, until, of course, Kanye West, that George Bush doesn't like black people. And I was like, oh, George Bush isn't great. <laughs> that was what that was what settled it for you, was mm-hmm. Kanye That's West? That's what swayed my political leanings for sure, 100%. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember... Uh, attacking the or or invading Iraq after 9/11 and I I don't want to say I supported it but I wasn't against it. Uh yeah. I understood this idea of putting a face to an enemy uh to an ambiguous uh you know amorphous enemy that we couldn't define and by putting that face to it it gave uh you know conservatives hope that like we're doing something about the problem. It was wrong, it was misguided in hindsight. But at the time, I understood it. Sure. Um, well, also, there's a big part of fear uh, leads to certain things like that. So you'll oh, be yeah. much more susceptible to uh, those kind of actions when you're afraid of stuff. And I get it. I mean, it's happened a billion times throughout history, so it makes sense. For sure. Entire civilizations have been wiped out because people were afraid. Um, but I do... so. Going back to the Bill and Hillary Clinton thing, when Clinton was in office for the whole eight years, you're not just inundated with all these stories about how terrible Democrats are and how, how frightening liberalism is. And socialism was such a dirty word back then. It's much less so now. Thank goodness. Um, but there were lists emailed around because this was before you could just get on the Internet. But there was email. Um, it was new. Do you remember when email was new, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I've been emailing since I came out of the world. I was in high school the first time I sent an email, so that makes me feel old. Um, I mean, I haven't been emailing for super long, but I, everybody's always had email uh, before I could be allowed to use it. Who was I going to email as like a child? Yeah, I uh, 
I remember bulletin board systems, BBSs, that you dial up and and then you connect and you can see this text-based uh, web page. Um, basically, uh, there were like four in existence that we knew the number the number to. You had to dial the wow. number. Uh, and then my senior year in high school, I actually took a class called uh, Telecommunications, maybe, where the assignments were actually go to a search engine, type in a search term. Tell us the first five results that come up teaching you how to use Netscape Navigator back then. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm considerably older than you, I guess. Anyway, there were email forwards that would get sent around during, like, Clinton's second term um, of lists of people who have been killed or mysteriously disappeared linked to the Clinton campaign. And, like, lists of conspiracies. And I remember seeing these emails back then when I was you know, a teenager and believing because of all this information that Bill and Hillary Clinton were actually murdering people the same way Frank and Claire Underwood do in this house of cards show. And I feel like the writers of the show probably were like, I remember being in a red state when Bill Clinton was president. Let's just do all those things that conservatives actually believed liberals were doing. Yeah. And create a Democratic congressman in Frank Underwood who kills people, who is thirsty for power, who does all these reprehensible things. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't even – that's interesting. I wouldn't even have uh, been able to know that. But, yeah, that's, that seems like – now that you say that, mm-hmm. I'm sure that that's definitely part of what they were doing um, as writers. Mm-hmm. I also don't know uh, – there – supposedly a power couple um uh-huh. but i think or it doesn't even speak to their power couple identity but i think a lot of claire underwood's stories um as a character are i guess not as interesting as frank's obviously because he's the fender point of the show that's i guess kind of pretty obvious point but mm-hmm. i think she got her most interesting um, stories when she was like the ambassador, she had to deal with Russia and all that type of stuff. But I think that when they tried to paint a picture of like, oh, they're two equals battling, I don't necessarily know if that is completely true in the context of the show. I totally see what you're saying. Her, well, for the first couple of seasons, her character was kind of defined as, I have my political ambitions, but my husband's first and I'll follow mine after. And he's he's paving the way for me. So I think they're at least trying to give her that. But also she's defined by her affairs and her past loves. Um, And that doesn't do her a great service when you're now later trying to make her a political rival of Frank Underwood's because she's not equal politically to him. She just isn't. Exactly, which is why I think the divorce thing didn't work because that was supposed to be like, oh, they're two halves of a whole splitting apart. The whole, this whole like, what is Jay Z and Beyonce? Oh no, but it's <laughs> not the same. It would be like Beyonce and like Ray J or something. Where you'd be like, okay, yeah. well, I don't really care. And yeah, that metaphor, Frank Underwood is Beyonce. Frank Underwood is Beyonce, and Claire Underwood is Ray J. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's, an, that's an apt metaphor. 
okay. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think that's right. That she, they're not political rivals, and they haven't drawn her as such. Her her motivations aren't. I, I feel like over the seasons they've steered her in different directions because they didn't have her pinned down from the beginning and they're trying to figure out who she is now mm. a little bit as writers. I think so. But then I also think that, um, that could be her story as well. Whereas she, for a very long time, defined herself by her husband and, uh, uh now with the divorce now has to define herself as her own person, which I think a lot of people, uh, end up having to do. Yeah, I uh, I see that too. That makes sense. Um, but at the end of the fourth season, they're back together. Yes, and they're gonna fire nuclear weapons or something. Like it wasn't exactly clear what lengths they're gonna go to, but it sounds like they're gonna start a war. Is, am I right, oh, or am I misremembering? Yeah, no, I totally forgot about that. No, you're right. They got. Um. Yeah, they got back together, and they're like, "We're gonna go to war with." Uh, we're going to start some kind of war. But it wasn't an actual war. It was kind of like just a thing to say to make something dramatic. I don't... It wasn't a real war, right? It was just like... See, I don't remember. Serious. I don't remember. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like they were going to start a real war. Hmm. But maybe I'm wrong. I... Well, uh. I I thought it was maybe, it might be some sort of Cold War thing, or it might be some kind of, uh, no, maybe it was a real war, but I think that I think it was, maybe I interpreted it differently, I don't know. I think, if, and, and you know, I could be totally misremembering, but I think they were going to start a real war to show that they needed to stay in power and win the presidency because the presidency is still up in the air at this point. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's and, what it was. Yeah, and so if they start a war, they don't want to... The, the American people won't want to see a transition of power during a war. I believe. Yeah. No, I I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, which I think can be interesting. But see, that's the other thing of like, now we had to gain this power, and now it's uh, staying in power. And I think that uh, trying to get somewhere is much more interesting of a narrative than trying to now grasp to stay in the same place, which is, I guess, what the show has to be now. Is now we have to keep this power. Yeah. I don't... How, how many seasons of that can they do? Of, like, let's find different ways to keep this power. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, you could. Uh, they need to be in power for a little while longer for him to really be a player after he leaves office. But they could yeah. just keep him in power for one more season and then do a jump forward in time when he's out, and then he can be even more powerful out of the presidency. That's certainly a possibility that I would buy. Yeah. Um, at the end of this fourth season, right at the very end, He's looking directly at the camera, and I believe she does too. For the first yeah. time in the series, someone else looks directly into the camera. Is that right? Yes, I think so. Which would be interesting to see if she's going to start also having a side and things like that. Yeah, the show does become more interesting when they're a couple in power 
than when they're political rivals. Because, like you said, she doesn't equal him. They didn't set her up that way. Um, but if they're a couple on the same side, yeah, that's an interesting dynamic that I want to see. It's just, yeah, that'll be much better. Also, it could be some sort of, I, um, I don't know if I necessarily remember this correctly, but I thought uh, at some point there was this possibility that I thought that Claire was going to try to run against Frank. Uh-huh. Um, but it might be kind of uh, a Hillary and Bill thing again, whereas uh, if he falls out of power, they do some type of thing to uh, now have her run for president. And by that point, I imagine in the show, she's having to decide the monologues as well. Yeah. So it would make more sense uh, that that happens. And then it is more of a show about the two of them. Yeah. More than just that, that way. I don't know. I um I know what you're talking about. I believe it was the third season when Frank was being contested in the primary and it was going to the DNC floor and she was Claire was trying to get people to support her instead of right. him. Yeah, so she wasn't directly running against him, but she was oh, trying yeah, yeah. to subvert his campaign and get on the ticket instead of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that happening. Um, well, yeah, I think we've pretty exhaustively discussed the show. Uh, what do you want to see in season five or six or going forward? Um, yeah, I think what I said was she's also having those asides and monologues. I'd like to see, um, what's happening with Doug Stamper right now? Oh yeah. We didn't even talk about Doug Stamper's. It was. I was heartbroken and dismayed and very disappointed when he actually killed. Uh, was her name Rachel? Yeah, but I was heartbroken, and I also thought that was an amazing the way they did it. I didn't like the choice, but what it was was amazing. So it wasn't like it didn't show him kill her. It right. was taking her. And then it's just like smash cut to he's already mostly done burying her. Yeah. You don't even need to see the. I was just like, oh shit. Yeah. I, that was so interesting to cut out the actual murdering part of it. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Because you didn't necessarily know that she was going to be murdered. And I guess usually you'll use those type of smash cuts when you absolutely know something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in the, the back of your head, you're like, he's not going to murder her for real. He's not actually. And then it just smash cuts to her almost completely buried. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was crazy. Oh, man. Yeah. I uh, I had such, like, I, I, I'm with you. It was very well done. But I had such a moral problem with it because there was no reason he really needed to hunt her down. She was yeah. not really a threat to anybody at this point. Mm-hmm. Her her threat had been, you know, dissolved. But he still, still murdered her, and I hated that. But I'm with you. It was very well done. Yeah, sure. I didn't want him to murder her either, but I think that the way they did it, I was like, oh, cool. Uh, but still. Uh, yeah. Um, and there was some questioning of, I think, his... I just don't remember what, again, season four, I don't remember what's going on with him. If that's when he murdered her, because I thought that was in season three. That was in season three. That was the end of season three, yeah. 
I don't remember um, what's going on with him in season four either. Yeah, I yeah, I know he stopped working for them for a time because he was hurt, but that was season two to three, yeah. I think. And uh, I'm interested to see where his story goes, mm-hmm. I think, most of all, because he's one of the most interesting characters. He's like the legitimate representation of like a ride-or-die type character. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what his motivation is for being so loyal to the underworld. <laughs> yeah it it uh i th- i think they got into that a little bit and i forget what it was with some backstory on him that he's just like that loyal guy because he doesn't have the charisma he doesn't have uh the personality to be in the spotlight but he thrives off of you know the gameplay the strategy and the policies right um yeah that's super interesting as a character, which is also something we talked about uh, Luke Cage last week, and I'm uh-huh. just realizing I think that's what they tried to do with Shade, and they just could not. To, to make him the powerful, like, I'm controlling all this, but I'm in the background kind of thing? Yeah, I think they tried to make Shade like a Doug Stamper. Uh, I can see that. I can see that. Quietness and whatever. But I think, here's my take on Shade's. I think he was he wasn't given enough time and that problematically by the writers but more so it was the actor. I think the actor yeah. just wasn't right to play like a devious guy. He was too much of a like kind of pretty go- pretty boy smarmy kind of thing yeah. to really. Yeah. Why is Macklemore not taking off his shit? Like that <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is he doing? <laughs> yep. Um all right, cool. Before we uh just one more thing before we move on to our game from House of Cards. We're we're terrified that Donald Trump's going to obliterate the world with nuclear weapons, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about that. I'm so terrified of – I've always been terrified of nuclear warfare mm-hmm. because it's just that we recognize that it's just a thing that can happen that uh, someday if some shit goes down and some shit really hits the fan, all of a sudden – Everything is gone with a press of a button that everything can just be obliterated yeah, only, uh, out of nowhere. Only a small portion of, like a small percentage of the world's nuclear warheads need to be detonated to obliterate the entire planet. Yeah, exactly. That's we terrifying. Have more, we have more uh, capacity to destroy the pa- planet than we even need, which is crazy to me. I heard that. Uh, well, I don't even remember when I learned that. That's just like, oh yeah, and that's just a thing. That's just a fact of life. And this was, I learned it during. I mean, I knew we had nuclear bombs. Yeah, since, like decades as a ago. Child. Yeah, you know that. You know that there was a the missile crisis, mm-hmm. and then we moved on from that. And everybody's just like, yeah, well, I guess everything can blow up, and uh, it's it's. I mean, it's fine. I feel like it's just getting like a serious diagnosis diagnosis yeah and then and then just it's like your your cancer's in remission but it could come back at any time exactly you just know you have it and it's maybe not even uh yeah it's just there and now we just have a person that just can't even control his tweets that's just (laughs) all the time fuck everything give me i just i don't want a day where he reaches for the nuclear button instead of his phone yeah, for for real. The 
I think, and it's close to this, like this is very close to the accurate number, but between the U.S. and Russia, they control 90% roughly of the world's nuclear warheads. Like Russia's got like 47% and the U.S. has 43% or something like that. The next most powerful country when it comes to nuclear weaponry is France, of all places, with like uh, 3% or something like that. Less than that even. Jesus. Yeah. I mean... It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. And we're all just like, just, okay, fine. Everybody's just, I think now with Donald Trump, we're afraid of it again. Uh-huh. But I've always just in the back of my mind been like, there could just, you can just see an explosion in the distance and be like, well, that's, that's everything is just gone. And I've got 24 hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is so weird. Oh, man, uh, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, on that yeah. note, let's play a game, Skylar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. More um, game. Yeah, this game is called What the Fuck Did I Just Watch? What the Fuck Did I Just Watch? So you played it a little bit last week, so you kind of know how it goes. I am going to describe a scenario or the entire plot of a show, and you're going to tell me what the fuck I just watched. Our theme this week is shows that involved a government conspiracy. So all of these shows involved some kind of government conspiracy. What the fuck did I just watch? Number one, Skylar. Last night, I was watching this show where a CIA agent was blacklisted and forced to solve minor crimes in Miami with the help of his ex-girlfriend, his chain-smoking mother, and Bruce Campbell. What the fuck did I just watch? Um, I'm going to say Beverly Hills Cop, but I don't know that's not right. Yeah, because that's because a movie, Beverly and these Hills are all TV shows. <laughs> yeah, and also Beverly Hills is not in Miami. No, it's not. It's on the other coast. Mm-hmm. Um... CIA is blacklisted. Uh, I have no idea. I'll give you a little help. Uh, this ran for, I believe, seven seasons on the USA Network. It was canceled a couple of years ago. Uh, USA Network. Ooh, Burn Notice? It is. It's Burn Notice. You got it right. Yeah. Yes. I did not watch any of Burn Notice <laughs> at all. I didn't know what Burn Notice was until now. I uh, I I watched it all the way through. I loved it, but I also loved people joking about Burn Notice because everyone knew it existed, but no one watched it. Yeah, well, it's also just such a weird name. It's also like Suits. Have you seen Suits on USA? Suits? No, not it's, at all. It's a lawyer show. I love it, and I wish more people watched it because I could write a killer parody of Suits, but no one would get it. <laughs> so. Doesn't matter. The only shows I think I've seen on USA Network are Psych and Mr. Robot. I loved Psych. I love Mr. Robot. Um, I loved Monk too. Monk was a great show on USA. Never watched Monk. I know it was about a weird guy. That's yeah, all I know. an obsessive compulsive. It was a funny show. Uh, all right, number two, Skyler. Last night I was watching the show where, in a shocking move. In the fourth season premiere, as the clock ticked down, the show killed off several of its main terrorist hunting characters. What the fuck did I just watch? Uh, 24. That's right, I watched 24. Did you watch that show? Yeah. Uh, I saw a couple episodes 
my main tip off when you said takes down. I was like, there's only one show with the clock. <laughs> that's right. 24. And that's why I said it. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, cool. You're two for two. Uh, number three, Skyler. Last night, I was watching this show where Bradley Cooper got stabbed and was left to die in a bathtub. What the fuck did I just watch? Bradley Cooper got, hmm, I don't know. I, I don't know any shows with Bradley Cooper. I know. It, uh, so this show, it was a great show for the first four seasons, and then the fifth season was awful, and it got canceled. Um, uh-huh. It was the world's introduction to Bradley Cooper and allegedly almost ruined his career being on the show, oh, wow. even though fans of the show loved Bradley Cooper on the show. Um, is this was Alias with oh, Jennifer Alias. Garner? Yeah, that was the pre pre Jessica Jones, right? Pre Jessica no? Jones? Uh, no, no, it's not even uh, at all similar to Jessica Jones. Oh well, then I have no idea. I did not know at all. All right, yeah. um, Alias is a spy show. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jennifer Garner and Victor Garber. Bradley Cooper was in a couple of seasons. Uh, it was great. I loved it until the fifth was season. That a, was that a Joss Whedon thing or no? No, it was a J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, that's yeah. what it was. Okay, I've heard of it. <laughs> uh, number four, Skyler. Last night, I was watching this show where Noah Bean got beaten with the Statue of Liberty bookend and was left to die in a bathtub. What the fuck did I just watch? She was also Statue of Liberty bookend bathtub. I want to say not X Files. Oh, these are all government conspiracies. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I see. That's the thing about these government conspiracy shows is I hardly watch any of them. This one had a government conspiracy, but it wasn't the central conceit of the show. Uh, it's not Prison Break, is it? No, 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 no. Ah, uh, no, then I have no idea. This was Damages on FX. Damages. Never saw it. Oh, man, the first season was so good. Uh, the remaining seasons weren't bad, but the first season was excellent. Wait, um, that was also about lawyers, right? Yes, it's also a lawyer show, yeah. Yeah. And Ted Danson's the villain in the first season, and he's so creepy and so great. Um, oh yeah, I watched maybe one episode of Damages, but it was it was like in like the third season, so I didn't know anything that was going on. Oh man, if you just jumped into the character. third season, that would be that's a terrible way to watch that show. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know what this is about. I was just on when I was uh, hanging out with people, so yeah. they're like, "We're watching Damages." I'm like, "Okay, cool." I think the third season was where Martin Short played this smarmy lawyer and Lily Tomlin was the villain, I believe. Uh, That was either season two or three. Um, All right, number five. Skyler. Yeah. Last night, I was watching this show where a bunch of escaped convicts converged on Tooele, Utah to dig up $5 million buried there by D.B. Cooper. Later, a one-handed man killed a prostitute and left her to die in a bathtub. What the fuck did I just watch? So many deaths in bathtubs. I know um, it. You know what? I said this one before. This one is damages. No, prison break. <laughs> it's prison break. That's right. Yeah. It was my, my uh, thing that I loved this episode, even. 
That's right. Prison Break, with a huge government conspiracy, the company, a cabal of uh, corporations that make all of the governmental decisions for the United States and possibly the world. Yeah. Uh, great show. Check it out. Uh, it was great. Uh, I don't know. Um, did the government organization come back in season three or four? Yes. Yeah, they're all they the way did. through. So okay, good. I imagine they'll also be back in this new season five. Um, but we'll see. Uh, and then here's just a little bonus one for you. Uh, speaking of dying in bathtubs, John Lithgow played a serial killer, slices up the main character's wife, and left her to die in a bathtub. What the fuck did I just watch? That one is Dexter. That's right. Lots of people dying in bathtubs, man. Yeah. Did I any- mean, it's a good place to die. I guess. Did anyone die in a bathtub in uh, House of Cards? Uh, actually, I think so. Um... Mm- I don't know if I remember specifically, but I do remember maybe Rachel was like something happened to her in a bathtub. I remember vaguely some sort of bathtub thing that was not good. Yeah, some negative and, bathtub scene. Yeah, some negative bathtub experience. Cool. Maybe he just attacked her in there. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. But you got three out of five, and then we'll give you half a point for the bonus. So three and a half out of five, Skylar. That's pretty good. Most people get two. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again, Skylar Higley, for coming on The Purge, talking about House of Cards. It was great to have you. Yeah, thanks for purging with me, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Say a special thing at the end of the show. Keep purging, everybody. <laughs> purge, purge away. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we should come up with a tagline like that. Um, where can people find you if they want to see your stand-up shows? in Chicago? You're in Chicago. Yeah, so just go to the city of Chicago and just ask people. That and, Everyone uh, knows you there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just so huge already. No, um, if uh, you are listening to this and you happen to be in Chicago, I'm uh, doing a guest spot of this Friday at the Comedy Bar. Um, so that'll be a day after this episode drops? Yes, day after this episode drops at 8 p.m. at the Comedy Bar, so come out to that. I um, Yeah, and then just find me on Twitter, Skylar underscore Higley. Skylar uh, underscore Higley. Page. You have a mm-hmm. you have a MySpace page for real? No. Okay. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's musicians. Musicians have MySpace pages, right? Not comedians. Yeah. All right. Musicians great. that no one's heard of because nobody's on MySpace. <laughs> so Skyler underscore Higley on mm-hmm. Twitter, and yeah. the comedy bar, comedy bar. Yeah, comedy bar. Okay, this Friday and probably in the future as well. Um, Thanks again, Skylar. Check out Prison Break. Uh, that was my thing. Check out Mad Men. We think it's season four, episode six. It's called The Suitcase. Thank you to Steve Combs for the music. Curtis Hansen for production support. Thanks again, Skylar, for coming on. And thank you all for listening to The Purge. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>